Let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, and a portion of Scripture that some of you have been anticipating for some time. Now, Daniel 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then drop down to verses 19 to 27, and we're focusing this morning on 20 to 27, the gospel according to Gabriel. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Daniel 9, beginning at the first verse. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O oh Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O oh Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. And now if we drop down to the 19th verse, verse 19. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. Verse 20, here begins our text. Now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen the vision at the beginning, was caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. <clears throat> know therefore and understand 
that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So far, the reading of God's holy word. I do encourage you again to keep it open. Difficult passage and it helps to have it on your laps and be able to follow along as I attempt to expound it for you this morning. He was a priest of the Lord. Twice a year, he had the privilege of serving God in the temple for a week on each occasion. Zacharias was a man of godly devotion. Scripture says that he was righteous before God, walking in all the commandments of the Lord, blameless. He understood God's way of salvation, and the word of the Lord was precious to him. It happened on one of the times of service that the lot fell upon Zacharias. And he was given a privilege in his old age to burn incense before the Lord. It became one of the most memorable days of his life. While he was alone in a holy place, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Standing on the right side of the altar of incense. He saw a heavenly messenger. Immediately fear fell upon him. Seeing this pure, holy, angelic messenger filled him with awe. But the angel immediately assured him that there was no need to be troubled. He said, do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. The angel then went on to explain how the son that would be born to Zacharias and Elizabeth would be the forerunner of the Messiah. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. The message of the angel was good news. The long-awaited promise was about to be fulfilled. But Zacharias doubted the words of the angel, questioning how such a thing could be possible, the angel responded saying, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. I am Gabriel. The word I bring you comes from the Lord himself, from his very throne room. Gabriel was sent by God himself to bring glad tidings, sent with a gospel message. Then shortly after his appearance to Zacharias, Gabriel appeared to a young woman in Nazareth. He said to her, Rejoice, 
highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Gabriel was sent to Mary with a gospel message. Now, we are all rather familiar with these New Testament stories of Zacharias, Mary, and the angel Gabriel. We're all, we all remember Gabriel as the one who announced the coming of Jesus Christ. What we are not perhaps so familiar with is the fact that it was this very angel who appeared more than five centuries before Zacharias and Mary and predicted the day of Christ. Gabriel's gospel message in Luke 1 is not the first time that he spoke of a Savior and the day of redemption. More than 500 years before the birth of Jesus, Gabriel was sent by God on a mission to Babylon. He was sent to announce the message of glad tidings to one faithful prophet. Today we want to look at verses 20 through 27 of Daniel 9, which I have entitled, The Gospel According to Gabriel. First, the reason for his appearance, and second, the significance of his message. The reason for Gabriel's appearance. In the ninth chapter of Daniel, we are told that the prophet had been studying what? Remember from last week? The scrolls of... Jeremiah. As he studied the words of Jeremiah, he understood that after 70 years, the Lord would bring his people back to their land. There would be an exodus, this time not from Egypt, but from Babylon. Having read the divine promises, Daniel turned to God in prayer. He set his face toward the Lord with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He asked God to act according to the promises of his word. Babylon was defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire. The 70 years were drawing to a close, and Daniel sought the will of God for the future of his people. What is God going to do with the nation? Daniel was eager to see a restoration to the land. It was while he was praying that the Lord sent the angel Gabriel with a message. Verses 20 and 21 tell us that Daniel was pouring out his heart to God when the angel approached him. His swift arrival served several purposes. First of all, it reminded Daniel and it reminds us of the comforting truth that God hears and answers prayer. God hears and answers prayer. The speed with which this prayer was answered is truly remarkable. Verse 20 says, have a look there. While I was speaking, while I was praying, while I was confessing my sin, Gabriel, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me. Daniel's prayer seems to have been cut off in mid-sentence. In verse 23, Gabriel himself explained, At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come. 
Sometimes, congregation, perhaps you wonder whether or not God hears your prayers. Sometimes he seems to be silent. Our words fall on deaf ears and our prayers appear to be a waste of time. Have you ever felt that way? These verses remind us that God not only hears our prayers, but he hears them immediately, immediately. He doesn't always respond immediately, but he hears and knows every petition, every request. Daniel was told that from the very first moment that he began to pray, heaven was listening. Gabriel's swift arrival was the result. Still today, brothers and sisters, the Lord sends his angels as ministering spirits sent forth to those who will inherit salvation. Although you do not see them, they are present and active in your life. Be assured that God hears and answers. Secondly, the arrival of the angel not, was not only to assure Daniel that God hears and answers prayer, but it was also for the purpose of enlightening Daniel's understanding. It was also for the purpose of enlightening Daniel's understanding. Look with me to verse 22. And he informed me, instructed me, and talked with me, and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. You see that? Daniel needed help to comprehend the words of verses 24 through 27. He was praying earnestly about the 70 years, praying that they would soon be complete, but the Lord wanted Daniel to know that there was another 70 in God's plan for his people. Another 70. Gabriel was sent to open Daniel's mind to comprehend not only the return from exile, but also something far beyond the exile. Daniel was taught to focus not only on the 70 years prophesied by Jeremiah, but also on the 77s prophesied by Gabriel. Gabriel was sent to enlighten his understanding. Thirdly, the arrival of the angel had a further purpose, and that was to assure Daniel of God's personal tender love. To assure Daniel of God's personal tender love love. Verse 23 is such a precious verse. For we see how the Lord looks upon his people. What did Gabriel say to Daniel in verse 23? At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. See that? You are greatly beloved. What wonderful words to hear. In the prayer of verses 4 through 19, Daniel said repeatedly, we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have rebelled and done wickedly, we have rejected your prophets, to us belong shame of face. He acknowledged that there was nothing in himself that merited the favor of God. There was no reason why the Lord should love him. In his sin, there was nothing lovable about him. And yet Gabriel arrived with that wonderful and uplifting message, you are greatly beloved. Some translations say highly esteemed. 
Daniel had a reputation in heaven. He was known before the throne of God. What a gracious and loving encouragement. Dear friends, why was Daniel so greatly loved? Why? I believe we are given some indication as to why within these verses. In verse 21, he wrote that Gabriel came to him when? About the time of the evening offering, the evening sacrifice. Now, when you first read this, it may seem like a rather insignificant and inconsequential statement. So what? What does the evening offering have to do with Daniel being loved of God, highly esteemed? Well, congregation, when Daniel had this vision, it had been 66 years since he had been in Jerusalem where the evening offering was made. Daniel had not participated in temple worship for more than six decades. And yet his worship in Babylon was regulated by what? The sacrifice that had once taken place in Jerusalem. Through all the years in captivity, Daniel not only prayed toward Jerusalem, but he also remembered the sacrifice that was offered there. He never forgot the sacrificial rites that reminded the people of their sin and their need of salvation. Daniel was loved in heaven. Why? Because he trusted God's appointed way of salvation. He saw the need for sacrifice, the need for the shedding of blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, says the, the writer of Hebrews. Daniel never forgot the necessary offering for sin. Even though the temple was no longer in existence, Daniel spoke as if he still attended it daily. Dear friends, do you want to be greatly loved by God? Then look not to the evening offering in Jerusalem, but to that of which the offering was only a type, the unblemished lamb, Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, you have a wonderful reputation in heaven. You are highly esteemed. You are known at the throne of God. Through Jesus Christ, even though you may have numerous failures, sins, and transgressions, you are greatly loved. You can be assured of that. So the arrival of the angel, number one, assure Daniel that God hears and answers prayer. Number two, it was for the purpose of enlightening Daniel's understanding. And number three, it served to assure Daniel of God's personal, tender, unbreakable love. Well, we move on then from the reasons for Gabriel's appearance to the significance of Gabriel's message. The significance of Gabriel's message. The ground upon which we are about to tread in verses 24 through 27 has been called a dismal swamp by one commentator. By that, he meant that these verses are very difficult and controversial. Those of you who may have studied the book of Daniel, you know that these verses have been debated and a number of views have been set forth. I'm not going to take you through the various theories, but I want to just focus on what seems to be the central meaning of this passage. 
Let's begin with verse 24. It serves as a sort of heading in which the general theme is stated. Please follow along at verse 24. Gabriel said to Daniel, 70 weeks or 77s are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Anyone who has some knowledge of the New Testament can immediately see in this verse a prophecy of the work of Christ. In 70 weeks, or literally 77s, Jerusalem would witness several things. First of all, transgression will be finished, sins will be brought to an end, and reconciliation will be made for iniquity. Atonement will be made for wickedness. By the end of the 77s, the transgressions that are an offense to God will be removed from his sight. The sins that demand punishment will be erased, covered, and no longer seen. Reconciliation will be made. Congregation, these things can be, are, are only possible through the work of Jesus. He came so that sins may be canceled. The writer of Hebrews said concerning the work of Christ, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. To put away sin. To put away sin. That is precisely what Gabriel predicted in, verse, in this verse. The entire Old Testament pointed forward to the day when sin would be removed. Genesis 3.15 says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. The entire Old Testament points forward to the time when that promise would be accomplished. That is the great goal of the Old Testament, looking towards the fullness of time. The important question of God's people in the Old Testament era was, when will reconciliation be made? When will man and God again be able to dwell in harmony? When will the obstacle of sin be removed? Gabriel revealed to Daniel that after 70 weeks, a period determined by God, the great question of the Old Testament would be answered. After 77s, something would be done about sin. What a comforting message this must have been for the elderly prophet. The weight of sin had been so clearly expressed in this prayer, verses 4 to 19. He knew that sin was the great enemy and the great barrier between man and God. But now he came to see that it would be dealt with. Transgressions will be finished. Sins will be brought to an end. Reconciliation will be made for iniquity. And secondly, verse 24b, after 77s, what? Everlasting righteousness will be brought in. What is this righteousness? In light of the New Testament, 
We would say it is the righteousness which God himself provides. The work of Christ was necessary not only to pardon our sin and wipe out the record of guilt, but also to present us righteous in the sight of God. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul spoke of to the Philippians when he said, that I may be found in him, that is in Christ, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. The 70 weeks point forward to the time of Christ. Believers are now clothed with his righteousness. Thirdly, sins are put away, righteousness brought in, and verse 24, vision and prophecy will be sealed. Vision and prophecy will be sealed. Here we are reminded that Christ is God's final word. In the opening verses of the book of Hebrews, the author said, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. The Old Testament age is the age of vision and prophecy. In Jesus Christ, that is now sealed up. The old is fulfilled in Christ. All the prophecies and visions looking forward to him were fulfilled after the 77th. With the coming of Jesus, all the promises of God receive their yes and amen. And then fourthly, the end of verse 24 also says that after 77s, the most holy will be anointed. The most holy will be anointed. We sang about that a moment ago, didn't we? The word anointed reminds us of the word Messiah or Christ. This is perhaps referring to the anointing of the Messiah for his work. You recall that when Jesus was baptized by John, the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and it remained upon him. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit to be equipped to accomplish his task. Now, congregation, just think about this. What a thrill. Imagine what a thrill it must have been for Daniel to hear these things. For 66 years, he had been troubled by the state of Jerusalem and its temple. He had been longing for its restoration. But through the words of the angel Gabriel, he was promised something far greater. Far greater. Yes, after 70 years, the people would return from exile and rebuild the city. The temple would be rebuilt and the temple worship would resume. But after 77s, Jerusalem would be blessed in a far greater way. After 77s, the Messiah would come. Sin would be dealt with, righteousness established, the Old Testament age would be fulfilled, and the most holy anointed. What we have in this 24th verse is the wonderful promise that God is going to bring redemption to his people. He's not only going to deliver them from Babylon, 
But he is also going to deliver them from sin and evil. He's going to release them from the bondage, the Babylon of sin. But now, the big question, which some of you have been waiting for, is this. What are the 77s? Most commentators agree that it is a group of seven years. In verses 25 and 26, the 77s are divided into three periods. The first period is seven sevens. The second is 62 sevens. And the final period is one seven. Look what Gabriel said to Daniel in, in verse 25. Please follow along at verse 25. Know therefore and understand... That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the anointed one, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. The going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem is the starting point. The end of the first period of seven sevens is when the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. This refers to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah shows it to be a troublesome time when the nation received much opposition from their enemies. They nevertheless, by the grace of God, pressed on until the wall was complete. Following this is the second division of 62 sevens during which no significant events are mentioned. The 62 sevens probably represent the intertestamental period from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New. Then following the seven sevens and the 62 sevens, there is the most important period represented by the final seven. Go to verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah, the anointed one, shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. In the 70th seven, two things would happen. First of all, Messiah, the anointed one, shall be cut off. Messiah, the anointed one, shall be cut off. Those words there, cut off, in verse 26, bring to mind the prophecy of Isaiah in the 53rd chapter. Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah, said, For he was... Cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Gabriel predicted that the Messiah would be cut off by death. He was cut off not for himself, but for the sake of his people. Given over to judgment, condemnation, crucifixion. Secondly, Within that same final period, the 70th seven, Gabriel said, verse 26b, 
that the people of the prince would destroy the city and the sanctuary, the end of it shall be with a flood. The prince of verse 26 is not the same prince of verse 25. The ruler of verse 26 is Titus, the Roman military commander. This is describing the destruction of the city and temple at the hands of Titus in 70 AD. Within four decades of the Messiah's death, the land would again be defiled by pagans. Because of their lack of repentance, Jerusalem would again be desolate. The prince, the ruler of verse 26, is Titus. And the people of the prince are the Romans. If you were to go visit the city of Rome, you would be able to see the arch of Titus, which is still standing. And on that arch, there are carved scenes from the destruction of Jerusalem. The Jewish historian Josephus recorded how the armies of Titus came upon the city and besieged it. Starvation was widespread, and the Jews began to turn against each other. Finally, after a lengthy siege, the battering rams broke down the walls and the Romans invaded the city. Jo Josephus said that the blood of the Jews flowed down the steps of the temple like the water of a stream. The city was destroyed. The temple was desecrated and burned. And Jesus' words that one stone shall not be left upon another were fulfilled. Since that day, the temple has never been rebuilt. The people who belonged to the prince, the ruler, Titus, utterly destroyed the temple and the city. The armies came in like a flood to wreak havoc and destruction, just as Gabriel predicted. Now, these two points, noted in verse 26, that the Messiah, the anointed one, shall be cut off, and the city and the temple destroyed, are restated in verse 27. Verse 27 refers to that same final week. Have a look. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, this is certainly very difficult language. I can understand you struggling with the language here, but I think the same two points of verse 26 are being discussed. The first half of verse 27 refers to Christ. The second half refers to the destruction of Jerusalem at the time of Titus. In the middle of that final period, Christ died for his people, thereby bringing an end to sacrifice and offering. The book of Hebrews repeatedly states that the sacrifice of Christ was the final sacrifice, the never-to-be-repeated sacrifice. After the crucifixion, there was no further need for the Old Testament rituals. And with the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus, all further sacrifices ceased. To this day, to this day, 2,000 years later, Orthodox Jews are still unable to offer sacrifices at the temple. 
Gabriel said, verse 27, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. On the eve of the crucifixion, remember, on the eve of the crucifixion, Jesus announced what? This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The congregation, can you see why I entitled this message, The Gospel According to Gabriel? This is good news. While Daniel was pondering the 70 years of captivity, Gabriel came to announce another 70, a greater 70. After 77s, salvation would be complete. Daniel longed to see Jerusalem rebuilt and temple worship reinstituted. But the Lord, through Gabriel, directed him far beyond that to the completion of redemption. God directed Daniel beyond the shadows and the symbols and the types to the reality in Jesus Christ. Dear friends, God allowed Daniel to see into the distance the outline of the cross where the Messiah would suffer and die, a glimpse of Calvary where the Lamb of God was slain for his people. What a beautiful, encouraging message for God's prophet in captivity. And for us, congregation, it's even more amazing. For we can see how all these things were perfectly fulfilled. Messiah was cut off to pay for our sin, cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of his people. He was stricken. If your trust is in him, your sins are covered. Your transgressions are dealt with, and you are granted his righteousness. But if you've not put your trust and confidence in him, if you've not repented before him, then the terror and destruction of his judgment awaits you. You will suffer the punishment of your transgression. You will be condemned for your sin and you will never enjoy the peace of reconciliation. Jesus Christ is a beautiful Savior, but he's also a fearsome judge for the unrepentant. Now, perhaps you've been wondering all this time, well, Pastor, how do the numbers work out mathematically? How do the numbers work out mathematically? Do 77s bring us from the decree to restore and build Jerusalem to the time of the crucifixion? Now, this is where people run into difficulties. They try to figure it out mathematically, and the numbers don't seem to add up. All attempts to do, to do so seem to have failed. No one has come up with a, a satisfying solution. Perhaps the most common interpretation is that the 77s is a total of 490 years from its beginning to its conclusion. But I think there's a better way for us to look at this. The book of Daniel 
like the book of Revelation, is filled with symbols, right? And therefore, giving a literal interpretation to these numbers is not necessarily the best answer. What this passage gives us is something more than just a, a mathematical problem. Was, this, was it given so that we can work out the math and try to find a solution? I don't believe so. Let me briefly offer you an alternative, one that for me is very exciting, and I hope it is for you as well. Consider the 77s in light of the Old Testament Sabbath. Now, please follow me closely. In the Old Testament, according to Leviticus 25, every seventh year was a sabbatical year, a year of rest for the land. God let the land catch up, as it were. After every seventh sabbatical year, that is, after 49 years, there was what? The year of Jubilee. What happened on the year of Jubilee, children? The trumpet sounded throughout the land. The 50th year was a very special year, for at the sound of the trumpet, liberty was proclaimed throughout the land. Property was given back, slaves were released, debts were canceled. The year of Jubilee was a year of liberty, freedom. Now consider this. Seventy-sevens, spoken of by Gabriel, brings us to the greatest Jubilee, the ultimate Jubilee. Seventy-sevens is the tenth Jubilee. What do we find in the prophecy of Isaiah concerning Jesus Christ? Isaiah 61. We sang about it a moment ago. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim what? Liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In Luke 4, maybe your mind's going there already. In Luke 4, Jesus deliberately read that very passage in the synagogue of Nazareth. And then with all eyes upon him, he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, congregation, Jesus came to inaugurate the great 10th Jubilee. Jesus came to inaugurate the great 10th Jubilee. Through him, the slaves can be released. The debt of sin can be canceled. The slate can be wiped clean. Gabriel was prophesying concerning the ultimate jubilee, the great tenth jubilee. Jesus has come sounding the trumpet as it were. He sounded the trumpet signaling the arrival of the great and glorious jubilee. Seventy-sevens is the wonderful consummation of redemption. And so Gabriel's message was truly a gospel message for Daniel and for you. Perhaps you've come here today burdened by the heavy weight 
of your sin. You know you stand guilty before a righteous God. If that's the case, hear the sound of the trumpet. Jesus proclaims liberty to the captives. In him, your debt is canceled, your slate is clean, and you are restored to a right relationship with God. Look to him, congregation, and rejoice in the liberty that is yours in Christ. Freedom from sin, freedom from slavery, freedom from debts through our Lord and Savior. This is the good news of the 77s. The great jubilee, the ultimate jubilee, is realized in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, have you heard the trumpet? The hymn writer, Charles Wesley, said, The gospel trumpet here, the news of heavenly grace, and saved from earth appear before your Savior's face. The year of jubilee is come. Return, ye ransomed sinners, home. Return, ye ransomed sinners, home. Have you heard the trumpet? Let us pray. Lord, what an amazing gospel you have given to us. People who are utterly unworthy of any of your mercies, of any of your kindness, unworthy of your face shining upon us in love. And yet you come to us that through our Savior, Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, our debt is canceled, and we may have a wonderful reputation in the throne room of heaven, loved by God. We thank you for the ultimate jubilee, the great tenth jubilee that our Lord Jesus came to inaugurate. We thank you that the work of redemption is completed through the one who was cut off, the one who was stricken and smitten for us. Lord, some of the words of Daniel can be difficult for us to wrestle through, and yet, Lord, there's so much here that we can receive, we can understand, and we can be comforted by and encouraged by. So, Lord, will you bless your people here, each and every one. May we all hear the sound of the trumpet. But Lord, may we find great joy and the one who has set us free. That ultimate liberty, ultimate freedom is given through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, as we conclude this service and sing about these things, will you fill our hearts 
with deep love and gratitude and praise. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.